0: The JFK assassination. How many times have you heard that phrase? I've heard it a lot. I live in Dallas, Texas. And what really happened on that day in Dallas, Texas? Let's look at that. Hi, I'm Rod Rorick. Rorick knows. I'm a board certified plastic surgeon in Dallas, Texas. And I came to Dallas in the 80s and I was the chief of plastic surgery for a long time at uh, Parkland Hospital and UT Southwestern. And what we did on the 50th anniversary is we reassessed the medical data on the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And, and so do we really know what happened on that fateful day at 12.30 on Friday afternoon on November 22nd, 1963, when John F. Kennedy flew here, from Fort Worth, Texas, and then was assassinated in an open bar- motorcade in, Dallas- in downtown Dallas, and then was pronounced dead 30 minutes later at Parkland Hospital. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that it was a beautiful day. It was a crisp day uh, when he landed at Love Field, and it was amazing. You know, from the moment that he landed to the moment that he came to downtown Dallas in, the, in an open motorcade, the last open presidential motorcade ever in the history of the, of the United States, uh, and then to be shot and assassinated and pronounced dead 30 minutes later uh, in, in Parkland Hospital is truly unbelievable. And yet those events that day changed America. It changed who we believe in, who we trust, who we who we really understand. And is the Warren Commission report really accurate or are there some missing facts? Is it the the one, you know, the, the one shot theory really, really important? Well, let's look at this. Let's look at the Parkland scenario. And I was fortunate when I was asked to discuss this in a major craniofacial meeting in the in the um, Late 80s, early 90s, I got to interview a lot of the physicians that were still at Parkland. Some of them have deceased since then. You know, doctors Carrico and Baxter, Perry, McClellan, doctors Jones, Peters, Pepper Jenkins, and Giesecke. All these were famous people that were surrounding this whole arena on that uh, fateful day. And so, what really happened? So, when he arrived, at Parkland Hospital at 1230. It was truly unbelievable event because they took the president out of the rumble seat and over the governor, Governor Conley, who lay there bleeding with a sucking chest wound, they brought him into trauma room bay one. And I interviewed all of these physicians, some of the key physicians, Dr. Carrico, who was the chairman of plastic, uh, who was the chairman, Dr. Carrico was the chairman of surgery at that time. The gentleman that actually had the most clearest and vivid memory of all, who had who never changed his mind at all, was Doctor Robert McClelland, who was an amazing general surgeon at that time, and he was a junior surgeon at that time, and he was he was there, and and so when they assessed him, he had. He didn't have a pulse or blood pressure. His, his pupils were fixed and dilated. Dr. Carica put a, an endotracheal tube in. They began IVs in his right leg. And then they put in, um, and, and they saw that he had agonal respiratory efforts. And so he was still he had heartbeats, but they were occasional. And he had external wounds, both on the anterior neck and then also a big wound in the back of the head. A large one, with uh, brain tissue coming out of it, and so in those critical thirty minutes, they put the, they put an endotracheal tube, they did a tracheostomy, they did an IV, they typed and cross matched them. They did a tracheostomy because they thought they had uh, that, even though they had an endotracheal tube in, that he wasn't getting adequate. Um, uh, breathing. So they put in some chest tubes where they put these tubes in to make sure that the lung is ventilated. They did CPR. They started another IV, and they put in uh, steroids in his IV because he, uh, he had had previous history of Addison's, which was a, a steroid deficiency. And so all these things happened, and they were doing all these things. And then finally, the chief of neurosurgery Dr William Kemp Clark, who was watching this and saw that the pupils were fixed and dilated, the cardiac, um, that the the cardiac, well, there was no cardiac response, and he was profusely bleeding from the back of his head, and he had a huge piece of cerebral tissue on the cart, a three-by-three centimeter piece, and he said, gentlemen, the president is dead, and that was at 1 p.m. that day. So everything stopped. The cardiac resuscitation stopped. Everything stopped. Mrs. Kennedy came in to see him. And according to Dr. McClellan, she took a ring from her finger and put it on his and took his ring and put it on her finger and left. And it was then that things changed. They they did everything they could, but he was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. Dallas time in that 30-minute period. So, the Parkland scenario was that the body was then released to the medical examiner, Dr. Earl Rose. And, however, Mrs. Kennedy said, we are not leaving Dallas without the president's body. So, the body was forcibly removed from Parkland, uh, And Dr. Rose, who apparently was standing in the door, was moved by the Secret Service. And they took the body, which was now in an expensive casket, and they took it to the plane at Love Field. And then eight hours later, at about 7 to 8 p.m., the autopsy was done by Dr. Commander James Humes at the U.S. Navy, who really had not done that many... Autopsies, certainly not of the caliber of, of President Kennedy, but he was in the Bethesda nasal, Naval Hospital. And, of course, President Kennedy was in the Navy. And all of the x-rays and photographs were taken by the uh, U.S. Treasury Department. And it, interestingly, no bullet was found on the body. And, of course, the assassin, and this is part one of, of, of at least two or three parts on this chronology of the medical data... The assassin was fairly early identified as Lee Harvey Oswald, who had purchased this Italian 6.5-millimeter Carbano rifle mail order for 1995. And so that was the alternative scenario. And of course, as this all unfolded, uh, the Warren Commission eventually uh, was formed. And then in about six months, it was headed by Chief Justice Earl Warren who'd published 27 volumes, but really the major summary volume was the one that was publicly available. And there were some things that were perhaps not totally accurate in that. Some material was withheld, and things were not really published. And, and some of the members that were on this committee were Representative Gerald Ford, who became President Ford, and, and Alan Dulles who had just been fired as the head of the CIA uh, after the Bay of Pigs incident, and various other individuals. So the summary of that data, surprisingly, was that it was three-shot theory. The first shot missed. The second shot hit Kennedy, the magic bullet, and Conley. And it hit Kennedy in the back of the neck and came out in the front of the neck and hit Uh, Governor Connolly in the right side of the back, tore through his chest wall, hit him in the right wrist and ended in his left thigh. Now, figure that out. It's a magic bullet. So if you look at that, even today with computer imagery uh, and computer graphics, it's hard to imagine a magic bullet doing all of those things, going through multiple chest cavities and being unfrayed. And to, to come up to go down in one area and then in, in the in the thoracic area, come out and pop up to the, to the area, the cervical area, and then come out and go through the chest wall of the, of the guy in front of you, which happened to be the governor. Come out through his chest wall, go through the wrist, and go through the left thigh. It's hard to believe that. So even though he was in the, in the, in the uh, rumble seat behind, uh, in front of the president, you can see that when... Um, jack kennedy was hit you could see jack uh, uh, Pre- uh governor conley say jack are you okay so how could he have been shot with that same bullet it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that but that was the theory and that the third shot hit the president in the head and shattered the right side of his brain and of course the autopsy does not really um sh- show that as much as a exit wound in the back of his head. So there are multiple unanswered questions. One is the size and site of the skull and the neck wound, and then the pristine bullet. And then the whole discrepancy between the Parkland doctors and the autopsy, because they were never consulted. And then the autopsy was not totally done completely like, it, like a normal autopsy. And then there was all kinds of x-rays and photographs that were withheld. And then, of course, there's a Bruder film. So all of these are part of the National Archives. And the summary volume of the Warren text really wanted to kind of put this to bed. I think there there was a lot of turmoil in America at that time. We were getting deep into the Vietnam War. There was a lot of turmoil in the United States. And what he wanted to do was to have the Warren Report restore faith in the American government. And I think it long term has done the opposite. Because what you can see from the autopsy was that there was a lot of discrepancies from the bullet wound in the back to the exit wound presumably uh, right where the tracheostomy was done to how that possibly ever could have been the same bullet that then went into Connolly's chest wall and into his wrist and his left thigh. It's almost unfathomable how that could be sold as the magic bullet theory, but yet it was. And, of course, the bullet was never found, except it was found in, in the, on a Parkland gurney, and it was this pristine bullet. It looked like it never been through anything. And ma- many ballistic tests have tried to reproduce that, and the bullets are very, very much more marred up after going through so much substance of, of human bones and structures that the pristine bullet doesn't make any sense. So the, the magic bullet theory, to me, is pure... I think it's pure nonsense that 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 could even be possible. And then the, there was no the discrepancy between the Parkland doctors and the autopsy. It was very clear that the Parkland doctors were told that this is how it's going to play because every one of them changed their minds from the when they all thought it was that fatal shot from the front that hit the, hit the uh, president in the uh, right. Forehead and blew out the back of his right forehead and occipital area. And the only physician that, to his death, never changed it was Doctor Robert McClelland. And you can see that in a video that I did with him in um, on the fiftieth anniversary in two thousand thirteen. I did a three part video, and please look at it on YouTube. And you can see he always said that when he was helping. He, the putting the tracheostomy in, he could see the back of JFK's head, and the brain parts of the brain fell out, and it was a large, large defect. And and to, to his deathbed, he always acknowledged that. He never changed his mind. And, and those of you who knew Dr. McClellan, he was honest as a day is long. And he would drew, he had a pictorial representation of this that I'm gonna share with you that showed this huge defect. This is not an entrance wound, this is an exit wound. And really, multiple pieces of the skull were found on the pavement um, at the the site of the assassination days later. And there's a piece of, of his occipital bone which was found there as well. It was three by three centimeters. And you can see that. And that fits into the back of his of the occipital area. And the autopsy report again had to be redone apparently uh, after it was done and so there are multiple discrepancies on that as well. And and then the incompletion of the x rays and the photographs that couldn't tie it together. So but you know, the the goal was clear to make it a three shot theory and that um, that that was the principal objective, and that these uh, the lack of this other material really didn't seem to matter. And so the autopsy summary uh, from Dr. Hume said that there was an entry bullet that entered the skull in the right occipital area, transversed the cranial cavity, exploded into the right parietal bone. And produce extensive skull fragments and um, cerebral hemisphere laceration and yet that didn't really seem to play out when you looked at these photos of the of the autopsy and that the um, that the the other wounds were part of the second shot uh, from the which was the magic bullet and so I would say that when, when Dr. Humes presented this and that that the president died from two gunshot wounds of high velocity projectiles, fired above and behind the deceased, um, were were things that actually um, echo hollow today. I think that when you look at the medical data, when we looked at it objectively and interviewing again at that time, the doctors that were still alive, especially Dr. McClellan, there was a lot of contradiction. And recently, the Biden administration has released thousands of pages of more documents which have implicated other groups including the CIA that actually may have not been so forthcoming in providing evidence um, that would have helped us clarify what really happened on that fateful day in November uh, in Dallas, Texas. And I think the the other thing that's really, really telling is the Sabruder film. The Subruder film was a uh, Taken by a gentleman that was right there in Dealey Plaza, and he happened to be taking it, and it really does show amazingly. And this is part of the National Archives, and um, and you know um, Oliver Stone showed this over and over again when he did his movie on JFK, and really just showed how. After everything happened, everybody ran upward to the picket fence because that's where they thought shots were fired. And yet someone apparently was there saying, I've got this area covered. So we do know that uh, President John F. Kennedy sustained a mortal cranial gunshot wound that was fatal at the scene. There was no way he could even today have been um, recovered. And that, you know, there's more and more ongoing evidence that actually – you know, that fatal shot was not part of the, th- the magic, you know, theory, uh, the magic three-shot theory, and that potentially um, the secret still lies in the Subruder film. And when you look at the Subruder film, you can see very clearly that the second shot was the one where President Kennedy brought his arms up, and Conley did not get shot with that that with that shot that was the second shot in fact he came and he looked around and he said jack are you okay and so that does not fit the magic bullet theory and then of course the final shot which as he was leaning forward was i think a forward shot a front shot just like dr mcclellan said because that's what it showed when he saw this huge hole in the back of his right head and and that's the shot that actually was taken that literally blew his brains out and and that's one of the many reasons why I think Jackie saw and actually saw his brains out on the side of his head and took off on the back of the car and of course then it sped to uh, Parkland Hospital and you know we will really never truly know um, what I think really happened on that fateful day in Dallas, but I think as more and more evidence becomes released, and I think there's supposed to be another cadre of evidence released in the next couple of years, we will probably know that there was a lot more involvement than, than just a lone assassin. Uh, But for now it remains an unsolved mystery. So stay tuned for part two, when I talk about how the Sabruder film truly can unlock some of this evidence from the national archives. So, Please give me your comments and thoughts as we move forward, I think, on this very, very challenging part of American history as we unveil what really happened in Dallas on that fateful day, November 22nd, 1963.